This episode is brought to you by Dietz and Watson. Uh, Molly, it's time we have the talk about hot dogs. Oh, oh, okay. Well, hey, (laughs) I'm looking for a hot dog that's the real deal, Matthew. Like a classic hot dog that like when you think of like the platonic ideal of a hot dog, Mm -hmm. I recommend Dietz and Watson's Dietz Dogs. Ah, well, I've heard that they're handcrafted and made using only Dietz and Watson premium meat. I can vouch for this because Dietz and Watson sent us a big box of hot dogs and other delights. And wife of the show, Lori, and I had them for dinner last night. We had uh, the classic beef Dietz dogs with uh, toasted buns with sauerkraut and pickled jalapenos and Dietz and Watson ballpark style yellow mustard. Do you think you'd recommend Dietz and Watson hot dogs for fried rice? Oh, yeah. Fried rice with some sliced hot dogs. I'm going to be doing that soon. Wife of the show, Lori, is going to be making the hot dog flour buns from Christina Cho's cookbook, Mooncakes and Milk Bread. Very excited for this. Mm, And I'm especially pleased because Dietz and Watson does things the right way. So this means like no additives, no fillers, no artificial flavors, no cutting corners. You can feel good about this stuff. Dietz and Watson. It's a family thing since 1939. Shop now at Dietz slash the right way. That's Dietz, D-I-E-T-Z, and Watson.com slash the right way. I'm Molly. And I'm Matthew. And this is Spilled Milk, the show where we cook something delicious, eat it all, and you can't have any. And today we're talking about pho. That is correct. We are talking about pho. Is that correct? We're going to find out. Like, we're going to have uh, Andrea Nguyen on as our guest uh, in just a little bit. And I think we, Molly and I, are going to be pronouncing pho much better after the interview than before. I sure hope so. Uh, But before Andrea joins us, we wanted to say thank you to everyone who donated to the organizations uh, during our live show. We sort of uh, dedicated our live show, maybe you might say, to the Black and Brown Podcast Collective and Stop AAPI Hate. And we heard that the Black and Brown Podcast Collective got over 20 donations from our listeners. Thank you, listeners. Thanks for stepping up and supporting some organizations that we really believe in. And if you missed our live show, and uh, you can go to the Reddit, reddit.com slash r slash everything spilled milk, where it'll be available to view until the end of June. Indeed. That's June 2021, in case you're listening to this in the future, which people sometimes do. Did you know <laughs> people sometimes listen to our show from the future? Right now, oh my gosh. Uh, there's a time travel. Traveler, uh, the time traveler's wife is listening. <laughs> oh, oh, I've I've heard of of her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, Matthew, do you think that people in the future are still eating pho? I think there's a hundred percent chance. I think oh. it's one of the world's most popular soups. <laughs> Great. Well, let's uh, let's travel back in time then, before we uh, go to the future, or even stay here in the present. And now, let's are we talk traveling about... back from the future to to the oh. present, or are we traveling back from the present to further in the past? We've hit. We've already hit a time travel paradox. I think we have. Uh, I don't even know how to answer that question. So, Matthew, <laughs> what's on your memory lane? <laughs> Some time traveler's wife, you are. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I think I got to pho kind of late. So I first had it in Seattle probably in the late 90s or early 2000s. And I remember hearing people talking about this soup that you have to have. 
And uh, I think my first experience was probably at Ton Brothers on the Ave or Fuso One in uh, Little Saigon. And I remember uh, loving the the soup itself, loving the the ordering system where you choose like the variety of meats that you want in the soup and that they have like four or five different sizes of bowl yes. from pretty big to enormous. Yes. And I put I made a late addition to the agenda that I want to talk about what size you order. Like the sizing of pho orders reminds me of um, the sizing at Starbucks. Yes, where it's exactly. like it starts at tall and just goes like larger than that. Like exactly. How big do you want it to be? Because even a small pho is huge. Yeah, no, we should definitely get into this. We should okay. we should ask Andrea what what size she orders when she when she gets it at a restaurant. Okay. Um, and at Ton Brothers, I the other thing I remember, oh, I remember of course, like the uh, you know the the salad plate that you get alongside with uh, vegetables and herbs to to garnish your soup with. I love that, and that they make their own cream puffs and they give you a cream puff uh, before you get your soup. And so everyone I think who eats at Ton Brothers has a strong opinion on whether you eat the cream puff first or last. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was so surprised to see on the agenda that you got to the the fuck game late. Because I had just assumed that you, especially since you lived in... In Seattle, since you grew up in Portland, I just figured that you yeah, would have I don't eaten know. this stuff earlier. I'm disappointed in you, Matthew. But yeah, it's fair. I love having your company here on the uh, the late to memory lane <laughs> because uh, you first had it yesterday. Yeah, no, I first had pho. I think probably around the time I moved here to Seattle, which would have been 2002. I don't think I actually you know what wow now that uh, now that we're talking about it Matthew I just, just had a memory up a memory <gasps> I just had a memory come back to me okay. so okay I think I've told you before that my dad you know my dad the inventor of, of the inventor of Altoids, Altoids in the, uh, in the 17, late 1700s an endive man endive man I think that I may have mentioned on the show that he took great pleasure in like on Saturday <laughs> or Sunday mornings when he was like hitting estate sales and garage sales all over Uh the city. He took great pleasure in always stopping by like one of the Chinese markets or one of the Vietnamese markets that started cropping up on Klassen. Um, Or at least I'm sure that they had been there way before we knew they were there. But um, I think they, I think that it's like mainstream publications started paying attention to them. And my dad figured out they were there. He would stop. I remember him bringing home like lacquered duck, Oh, Um, yeah. Just being, he was so excited to have discovered a source for this stuff. But I do remember there being a pho place there in kind of like, you know, like a little strip shopping center near one of those markets. And I do remember going there with him and I think with his friend Michael, who was always like a very enthusiastic and fun person to eat with. And I remember having chicken pho. Yes. So maybe, so maybe I had okay. fun before you did, Matthew. I think you probably did. Oh my god, this is so exciting! Oh, I was going to say something. It's interesting that you mentioned uh, chicken pho, which I like a lot. Also, um, I remember like you know tiresome food people uh, like arguing about like you know if, if yes. it's uh, if it's chicken or uh, or vegetarian is it really pho? And uh, I uh, I read I reread uh, Andrea's pho cookbook. Um, uh, the other day and learned that like when when chicken pho was first introduced in Vietnam in the 30s, like they the same like, you know, silly debate really? was going on then. Yes. Oh, my God. Well, OK, I, I feel fine then about starting with. Chicken <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Pho. And um, anyway, but I think that it didn't really become I think I wasn't really aware of it as like 
the ultimate comfort soup thing to have when you're feeling sick, thing to have any time, delicious, reliable, amazing, noodly, meaty soup. Yeah. Until I, how was that for a description? I am. No, a food I think writer. that was really good. I think Thank I you. think it sounds like you're working on your own faux cookbook. Thank you. Um. Anyway, I think I first went to Ton Brothers here in Seattle uh, right around the time I moved here, and yes, the experience is for as much as it is a pho place, the experience is about the cream puffs. Yeah. I always eat mine afterward. I always eat mine first because I I think that like, you know, you know, the marshmallow test where they make a kid sit in front of a marshmallow. Like if I heard that I was going to be given that test, like somehow I would have eaten the marshmallow before arriving. And that's that's what happens when you put a cream puff down in front of me also. I mean, Matthew, we've been doing this show for 11 years now. I'm endlessly surprised by the things I learn about you. Like, I would not have necessarily figured that you were like a can't wait to eat the marshmallow kid. Yeah. Well, this morning, literally this morning, just before coming here to do this show, and when I say here, I mean my house, I went down to QFC to pick up some groceries. While I was uh, in line uh, for the self-checkout, I grabbed a, uh, a pack of uh, Reese's Big Cups that were in a in a sale dump. And uh, I'm like, cool, I'll bring these home and, uh, and have one later for a treat. And uh, by the time I got home, I had already eaten one of them. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's not me at all. That's very interesting. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So not only are we not married, but we're not the same person. No. Do you think this makes us incompatible? Probably. Yeah, I, probably. I think maybe just the opposite. I think, I think like, you know, how would this work out exactly? <laughs> Never mind. No, mm. we're incompatible. Okay. Okay. Anyway, so, um, okay. So I'm really glad that we're going to get to talk to Andrea here in just a second, because there is no one I can think of who uh, is a better teacher of all things pho than Andrea Nguyen. Literally and wrote the book. Literally wrote the book. You know, you and I, late adopters to, mm-hmm. to pho, we need an expert. Yeah. Now, having said that, I did, like I said, I read Andrea's book and I have uh, I have some things that I learned. Should we should we like start talking about the history of fun and then uh, yeah, we'll jump in with Andrea when she gets here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's do the part that that I'm guessing Andrea probably won't be as I don't know. I figure I want to know about the cooking of it. Yes. Okay, so pho, if you if you have not had it, and I bet I'm willing to bet there are at least a couple of our listeners who haven't yet had the pleasure. It is a Vietnamese soup made with rice noodles and meat, usually beef, although it can definitely be made with chicken, when it's, where it's called uh, pho ga, or vegetarian. Mm-hmm. Um, I will uh, preface the rest of this by saying that Vietnamese is a highly tonal language, and none of the words that I say in Vietnamese are going to have any meaning if you are a Vietnamese speaker. So pho originated in the early 20th century, and even the word itself is new. So they did not Mm. take an existing uh, Vietnamese word and repurpose it for this soup. It seems to have come from a simplification of the Vietnamese pronunciation of the Cantonese term for beef with rice noodles. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. And so you will hear like a a common folk etymology is that it's related to pho, like it's that it's something like poto pho in French. That is coincidental. uh, And uh, the broth, like the broth techniques are influenced by by French broth making techniques in that it's a clarified broth. But Mm -hmm. uh, the word is not related. Interesting. Did you find all this in Andrea's book? I found all this in Andrea's book. Oh, 
fantastic. Okay, go yeah, on. Seriously, this this book is is great. Like whether you are going to make pho at home or not. Like if you are if you are interested in making pho at home, this is the perfect guide to to uh, to have you to help you make your first pho. But even if you just like eating it, it's a it's a just a fun book to spend some time with. Mm-hmm. My grandfather uh, liked pho and. Um, used to eat at this place in New Jersey called Pho Q and didn't understand that the uh, that the name was a joke. <laughs> um, that is delightful. Is this your mm-hmm. mean grandfather? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. That makes, the, like, sto- that makes the story I, perfect. <laughs> yeah, I think he thought the dish was called Pho Q as well. <laughs> Bless his heart. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Rest in peace, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as it says on his on his tombstone, rest in peace, dude, because he loved to surf like me. So pho is wildly popular throughout Vietnam and in the world, but there are two distinct regional styles, right? Which I didn't know. Yeah, so I think I first learned about this when I read Eating Vietnam by Graham Holiday, which is a food memoir from 2016 uh, by a food writer who who lived for a long time in Vietnam. And uh, I had always thought of pho as being kind of this one thing, uh, like the kind that you get in Seattle, which has kind of a sweet, sweet broth and lots and lots of garnishes. And you put, uh, you know, hoisin sauce and maybe sriracha in it. And that is Southern style pho or Saigon style. Ah, And there is this whole other style of pho, Northern or Hanoi style, which is absolutely recognizably the same dish you know rice noodles usually beef uh you know very flavorful broth and some garnishes but it's uh it's made with no sugar added to the broth so it's much more like savory focused is, and wait, uh, i have a question yeah. is the is the broth still clear the broth is still clear yes okay and uh, but the broth it's it sometimes uh, in in Andrea's recipe uh, the the broth is made with uh, with charred shallots and garlic for mm. like you know extra umami which sounds really good uh, and the garnishes are typically just scallions cilantro garlic maybe chili sauce and f- uh, like fried dough like like uh, you know the the long Chinese donuts yes. Uh, those were introduced at some point in the past and just like like hung on like as as the most po- one of the most popular side dishes for That's... northern style pho. That's so interesting. It like reminds me of tortilla soup. You know what yes, I mean? Absolutely. Like, so does the fried dough, I assume when you first put it in, it stays, it's crunchy and then it I sits there and probably Andrea, I don't even know if you dip it. I assume you do, but but okay. yeah, I'm curious about that. Or like dipping tempura in your soba broth. Like, yeah. I yeah, like I think that? it is something like that. And like, and like the, the oil from, from the donut is going to, is going to enrich the broth a little bit. I was just talking to like teenager of the show, December just, uh, just said, you know, like when we're going out to restaurants again, uh, that they want to go to Northwest Tofu on Jackson and get the um, the Chinese donuts with uh, with soy milk, uh, mm. which is such a good dish. Mm-hmm. Like they have two kinds. They have like choice of like sweet or sa- or savory soy milk, and I like the we like the savory soy milk best. That has like slices of the donuts floating. It is so good. Oh my god, I've never had that. It's I- so good. Okay, can I meet you guys there? Yeah. <laughs> Three cheers for vaccination. Yes. So like like with ramen, uh, the the broth I feel like is ninety percent of what makes a good pho. So yeah. for uh, for beef pho, it's made with parboiled beef bones that have been like parboiled to to get some of the like scummy stuff out. So for clarity, uh, spices and like typically the spices you would that would be go into like a Chinese five spice. So things like star anise, cinnamon, and cloves. 
uh, salt, fish sauce, usually MSG, ginger, and onion or shallot. Uh, and then if it's a southern-style broth, uh, they'll add uh, yellow rock sugar. If it's a northern-style broth, that's usually flavored with Chinese black cardamom. Do you know anywhere in Seattle to get a Hanoi-style pho? I don't know. And this is something like I I tried doing a little research, and I want to ask Andrea about like whether this is something that uh, that you can get in the U.S. at all. Okay. Uh, Have in, you made it? In a it? restaurant, that is. I haven't made it. Okay. Oh, Matthew. So we're going to be taping in person. Uh, yeah. For what, next week's episode? No, no. A little uh, further down the line. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'm, I'm kind of thinking that you should make me Hanoi style. I think I have to. Fuss. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I've got, I've got Andrea's book here. Like there's, there's no reason I can't do it. I need to, I need well, to and, source some beef bones. And nothing says a hot summer, like, uh, like a good steaming bowl of soup. Although, like, I mean, it's, Although, it's the right kind of broth. First of all, like, like uh, Vietnam is a country with a pretty hot climate. Yes. And like, like, it's the right kind of hot soup for a hot day, I think. Well, it feels like the kind of thing that, I mean, there are reasons why one would eat a hot foods or spicy foods in the heat, right? I mean, it makes you sweat, which cools yeah. you down, etc. So, okay. All right, Matthew, if you're willing to make pho. I'm willing. The, the only part that I find daunting is getting the bones because, like, I'm always afraid. Like, you know, even if I call like Don and Joe's at the market and say, like, I, you know, I have a recipe that calls for this kind of bones that they'll like laugh at me for some reason. What was the hold on? Wait, I, I'm still stuck on on cooking in your apartment in the heat. What was the, the episode we taped oh. where? Um, oh, my God. Was we it were, mac and cheese? Yes, we were dying by yeah. the end of it. It was so hot. That was the one I think where I, I like took an ice pack and like yep. shoved it in my bra. I remember that. Yeah, we're we're getting back into the studio at the worst possible time. It's it's going to be great. Uh, yeah. it's it's too bad that um, the studio isn't at my house, which because I'm sort of like downhill, like I'm on kind of mm. like a, a like a downhill slope that continues on toward the sound. You started in kind a of a rustic of a... canyon. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. I was just reading this book about the, the musical history of Laurel Canyon in Los Angeles, uh-huh. uh, which sounds so nice. I've never been there. So I imagine your house is like that. I've been no, to your my, house many times. My house is not at all like that. But anyway, it is always like a few degrees cooler when I like turn off of 85th Street and start going north. It's always a bit cooler. But do you ever like get home and and find that like Joni Mitchell and David Crosby are like sitting on your porch writing a song and you're like, get out of here. No, I I get home and I find them all the time. And I'm always like, guys, (laughs) you want to smoke out? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Crosby knows where to get the good stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we can we can tape at your house. I mean, especially you're going to have an, a new office, right? Can we I'm use gonna, your office as a podcast studio? It just takes me longer to get to your house. I don't think my office is going to be a great podcast studio because, so it's in what was formerly the red carpeted love dungeon. Yeah, I remember that. We've taped there a couple times. And we pulled out the carpet. And so it's now just going to have a concrete floor mm. with, uh, with like, you know, area rugs. So I don't know. It could work. It could work, but it's it's not going to sound as good as it might as have like a, a great natural studio. slap echo, like like you Ooh, would throw onto. <laughs> it's like it's like when when an echo happens just like one time, like very quickly after the initial sound, and it sounds it's it sounds like rockabilly guitar. Cool. Can we give our show kind of a rockabilly sheen? 
Sure. You know, we could you could come over and we can tape in, in the closet. I was I was thinking thinking about that that uh, when uh, when you come over, um, uh, wife of the show Lori is gonna is gonna go into the podcasting closet to, to do her job, and uh, and I was I was thinking like you know since since she has a real job and we're podcasters, like if she told us we had to cram into the podcasting closet, I wouldn't have like any any like authority to say no. No, we can we can do it, Matthew. We we have mm-hmm. uh, God, you know, we've gone to a nude beach together. Yeah. Um, we once slept in, we've slept in the same bed, I think a couple times. Couple I think times, you yeah. once, you once touched my butt. Yeah, that's true. Right? <laughs> I knew you were going to bring this up. Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> uh, we're going, so, so listeners, we're going on a corporate retreat actually yeah. later this summer. And but there are going to be three beds. It's going to be the most luxurious corporate retreat we've ever taken. It's true. It's true. Nobody has to share a bed except Matthew. I think you and I do have to share a room. I think you and I are oh, going to yeah. be in, in the twin beds in one room together. No, it's going to be like a classic sleepover. I can't wait. I'm so excited. And it's more than two months away. I know. So Matthew, so how do you like your pho? I, do you, do you still go to Ton Brothers these days? I do. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I've I think we've gotten takeout from there once. I haven't I haven't been like back inside a restaurant. Although you and I ate outside at a restaurant, which was mm-hmm. very nice. Mm-hmm. I haven't been inside a restaurant yet either. But when I go back to Ton Brothers, um, I will order the number ten Thai Chingon, which uh, with uh, brisket, rare eye of round, and uh, beef tendon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the meat combination I like. And then, so what, what meat combination do you get? And then let's God. talk about what we do with the garnishes Matthew, and sauces. Matthew, I was afraid you were going to ask me this. So I have no idea what number it is. That's uh, fine. What it's called, or even what the meat is called. But I think it's like the rare roast beef that I like. Yeah. I mean, I have to say that I am someone who is kind of squeamish about meat in a way that I don't think you are. I think this is always... Well, I mean, we've established that I'm afraid of buying bones. That's true. That's true. But um, it's, it's more because I'm squeamish about butchers. No, I've, uh, I'm not squeamish about butchers, but I am squeamish about meat in general. In fact, we've kind of, as a household, talked a little bit about maybe giving up chicken because we're mm-hmm. all really squeamish about it. And then it's like, why are we eating this? Anyway, so I usually like the rare roast beef because, honestly, to me, it feels the most approachable. Yeah. I understand that. Yeah. Occasionally, I'll get the meatballs also. I like the meatballs. So I have had the meatballs too. And for whatever reason, I always forget that they're there. Oh, wait. You mean you get the soup and forget that there are meatballs in it or you forget to order them? That would be a very pleasant surprise, right? I mean, can you imagine a better surprise? Like, oh, I just thought I was getting fun. Oh, my God. There's a meatball in here. I've mentioned many times probably that when I was growing up, uh, mom of the show, Judy Amster, would call a, a uh, grilled cheese sandwich a surprise cheese sandwich because sometimes the cheese would leak out of the bottom as a surprise. Love and her. so we've, we've just invented surprise meatball soup. I surprise bet. meatball soup. No, um, I forget that it's on the menu. Like, you know, usually the rare roast beef is one of the ones up at the top and my oh, eyes yeah, meatball- kind of don't go further down yeah. the list. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think at Ton Brothers, the, the meatball like is in sort of a separate section even of the menu. Oh, man. Talk about surprise meatballs. So then what do you do with the, mm. uh, the garnishes and sauces? Okay, okay. So I always add at least one jalapeno slice. Sometimes mm-hmm. I add two, but I'm always amazed at the flavor that they give, even just one, yeah. the flavor and heat. So uh, always one, sometimes two jalapeno slices, always the sprouts, always the herbs. And I do like a squeeze of sriracha, and I usually do it until the color is right. Mm-hmm. I do it by color. 
and then always a squeeze of lime. So I don't. Oh yeah. I don't tend to use hoisin sauce. Okay. I will throw in pretty much everything except I don't usually add any sauce. It does muddy the broth. Yeah, but like the entire plate of like bean sprouts and uh, <laughs> and, and herbs, like all of that is going in. Like not not necessarily all at once. Like it might go in in stages, but but I want it all in there. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Just like the more the more stuff goes in, kind of the more festive it gets. <laughs> Uh, what size? And then if there's a surprise, and then if there's a surprise meatball, I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. Well, yeah, like also, like the more herbs you add, the more it looks like a meatball, sort of like parting at like the uh, the fronds of the jungle and saying like, "Surprise, I'm here." I was picturing. I don't know why this image came to me. We can cut this part out, but I was picturing <laughs> baby Moses among the reeds. Uh huh. Why would we? Why would we cut that out? I think I like know. baby it's, Moses. I feel was... like it's like like blasphemous or something. Not that I've ever worried about being blasphemous before, uh, but anyway, um, I'm just picturing like 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 baby's head in a basket. Equals, were those bulrushes? Equals, equals meatball, mm-hmm. and then like the the reeds or whatever equals bean sprouts and basil and cilantro and stuff. Yeah, no, I think I think uh, baby baby head equals meatball. I think we can all agree on that. Absolutely. I mean, they are indistinguishable. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, no, no, often I'll, I'll like uh, I'll like meet a baby and I'll and I'll say like, "Look at that surprise meatball." <laughs> that is exactly um, what I said when I was pushing. Yeah. <laughs> Get the surprise meatball out of me. Um, what size do you order? Not oh, not meatball size, but soup size. I always order the small. I also always order the small, and that and that's our show. And I feel like this says hey. a lot about us. No, remember like how incompatible we were like like twenty minutes ago, and now god. like we've reconciled. Oh my god, let's get we remarried. Do, yeah, let's we can do the reconciliation dance. Yeah, that's a budget joke. That's a budget joke. Nice one, man. Okay, um, I think one time I ordered the medium because I was really hungry, but I don't think I finished it. Um, I often don't even finish the small, but mm-hmm. but I stand a good chance of finishing the small. Right. Yeah. Under what circumstances would you order like the largest size? There's never been a circumstance under which I would order the largest. I want, size. I want to, I'm pulling up the Ton Brothers menu, and there are other foot places in Seattle. This is just the one that's closest to my have house. You, and so the have one... you ever been to Babar? I have never been to Babar. I okay. think I have had takeout from Bob Bar. Their pho is fantastic. Their yeah. beef pho is really, really excellent. Yeah, so they have four sizes at Ton Brothers. Small, medium, large, and extra large. The extra large surely must actually be served in one of those like um, plastic bathtubs for babies. Yes. Oh, right? yeah. I re- Full of I remember surprise that. meatballs. <laughs> It was such a big day when uh, when our baby like moved from the from the little plastic bathtub to the real bathtub. I remember struggling to figure out how to properly cushion the bathtub for like the inevitable like tipping over that was going to happen. Yeah, bruising the meatball. Bruising the meatball. God, it's terrible when the meatball falls apart. <laughs> yeah, especially true. in the bathtub, so messy. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it then it kind of thickens the broth. <laughs> Gross. Oh God. Okay. Is is Andrea just gonna is she is she gonna get here and save us from ourselves? Uh maybe. Let's hope so. Hold up. 
VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Andrea Nguyen is no stranger to Spilled Milk listeners. She's written for every major publication you can think of and is the author of six cookbooks, including The Pho Cookbook, which won a 2018 James Beard Award. Last time she was on Spilled Milk, we learned how to make Gai Goon salad rolls. Andrea, welcome back to Spilled Milk. We're so happy to have you here. Yeah, let's do it. The first thing I'd like to ask you, even though uh, Molly and I have been talking about it before you got here, is how would you pronounce pho in Vietnamese? Because I think our pronunciation is not great. And last time you were here, you taught us how to pronounce uh, gai gun. Mm-hmm. Right. So from gai gun, we're going to go to pho. So I always tell people that think of it as an interrogative, a question, because it has that little question mark uh, diacritic above the O. Mm-hmm. So it's. To a Vietnamese ear, it would say you'd say pho. Pho. Yeah, and just say it kind of slowly, pho. You know, languidly. <laughs> I have a question about the vowel sounds in there. It sounds like you have a more complex vowel sound going on than Matthew and I have been producing. Is it more than just a uh sound? Yeah. Well, it's 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 an uh like so the o with the little um, hook on the side. It's an uh, and then with the question mark on top of it, it's like an interrogative. So it's fa uh, so okay. fa. Uh-huh. Okay. Fa. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You just say fa, and just slow down a little bit. And like next time you guys, you know, go and order a bowl, if you just say that to a Vietnamese person, they'd be like, what, you Vietnamese? <laughs> <laughs> that, yes, that's what they'll say. That's so kind of you to suggest that that's what would happen for us. <laughs> you never know. You were kind of strangely accepting people. <laughs> so. oh. Okay, so now now I'm going to try putting it in a whole sentence, Andrea. Okay. okay. No one is going to mistake me for a native Vietnamese speaker. Let's be real. Here we go. Okay, so how did you eat pho growing up? I ate pho um, in Vietnam before my family came here, and um, we mostly ate it out. Mm-hmm. So, like, my first memory of eating pho was in um, a little shop that one of my fer- parents' favorite pho shops um, in Saigon. And um, it was very old school with, like, wooden benches and low tables. And I sat there. I was around five or six, and I f- polished off an entire little bowl by myself. <laughs> With chopsticks and, you know, spoon, like double handle, you know, approach. Oh, my gosh. And they were so proud. Uh, (laughs) But when we came to America, it was really like this thing of where, you know, there were no more pho shops or pho vendors to go to. So we made it and my mom would make it on the weekends. Um, And we would have pho on Sunday mornings after Mm -hmm. church. And we're Catholic. And so, you know, the church, you know, would always announce 
coffee and donuts in, you know, the rec hall, meeting hall, whatever. And my parents would be like, no, we're going home. We don't eat coffee and, you know, drink coffee and donuts in the morning. We already had our coffee. We're going home for five. And so my mom would line us up in a little assembly line. And the girls, of course, my brother didn't really have to do much. And so she would then um, put us through the paces to assemble bowls for the seven members of the family. And we each had a little task. And my mom's job was to verify the final flavors of the broth and then ladle it on. So she had her oh, own yeah. little, you know, pho restaurant at home. <laughs> And was she making broth from scratch? Yes, wow. she sure was. Yeah. And um, she, you know, she did a lot of things from scratch because she was like, you can't, you know, those, you, where would you, you just need beef bones and spices and um, thyme. And she doesn't, you know, she, she never did like the whole overnight, you know, simmer thing. I've asked her about that. And I, mm -hmm. I mentioned the overnight simmer because there have been people who've come to me and they've said, oh, my God, if you make pho, you got to do an overnight simmer. I heard it's like really long and hard. And I, I asked my mom, she goes, no, never had to do that because we're only making a small batch. Right. Would she would she so you know in thinking of of the schedule of the day would she start it before you left for church? She actually made it on Saturday. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So she would make it on Sat Friday or Saturday, and then she would refrigerate the broth, and then the noodles. She likes to boil her noodles, so she'll boil her noodles before we went off to church, and then she set everything. She prepped all the the garnishes and the toppings. Granted, you have to understand my mom's a northern Vietnamese cook. And so her garnishes were minimal. No mm -hmm. bean sprouts, no Thai basil. Uh, we had mint and chilies, and that was it. So uh, her mise en place was relatively simple. <laughs> so it was um, cooked um, brisket or chuck, and then her garnishes of thinly sliced yellow onion, cilantro, and green onions. And black pepper. And she always put a little MSG in her broth, too. Uh -huh. mm. So what are some of the differences between Hanoi style or northern style and Saigon style pho? Sure. Pho originated in and around Hanoi. So the capital. And Hanoi is a very um, traditional, conservative, culturally oriented place. And the bowls are smaller. The portions are smaller. And the broth is salty more than sweet. Mm -hmm. And um, they're old school. They're just like, it's about the broth. You put too much into this broth, you're going to mess it up. Because I've been working on this for a long time, and it is perfection. <sighs> now, that's very old school. You go to the South when pho really proliferated um, after the split in Vietnam in 1954 between North and South Vietnam, according to the Geneva Accords, because Vietnam was in the middle of a lot of geopolitics mm -hmm. during the middle of the last sure. century. A lot of Northerners went to the South. They decided they wanted to flee um, and live in a more, you know, a place with more democracy, relatively mm -hmm. more democracy. Mm -hmm. So anyway, when Pho went um, to southern Vietnam, and we're talking about Saigon-style Pho versus Hanoi-style Pho. So you you saw the bowls get bigger because southerners live large. There's economic opportunity in southern Vietnam 
There's also cultural progressiveness. People are easygoing. I mean, it's very uh-huh. strange if you think about it, like the north, northern, southern dichotomy. Like yeah. I, I live in northern California and I grew up in Southern California and Southern California is kind of like more easygoing. Northern California is like, oh, you know, we have our standards, you know, things are precious. And Southern California is like, yeah, uh-huh. precious, whatever. We got the warmth and the sunshine. So like wherever you are, there's that Northern Southern dichotomy. It's funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in the South, things got really crazy. So on top of the, uh, the cooked meat, they added all these other different cuts. And granted, in northern Vietnam, you know, pho progressed beyond just cooked sliced meat, but also to uh, raw sliced meat. Mm-hmm. But in the South, then you had the addition of all these other items, mm-hmm. all these other cuts. Um, that and, and so when you go to a Vietnamese pho shop and you get the special, the Dac Biet Bowl, that's like, the works, you know, and you get like the big bowl that they describe as cellula or the train bowl. <laughs> That's Southern style. And when you get the large pile of garnishes, you know, with different herbs and bean sprouts, that's totally Southern style. And they throw whatever herbs they want in there. Um, in the U.S., we only get um, culantro and Thai basil. Um, but in if you go to Saigon, Ho Chi Minh City now, you'll just see this voluptuous mound of herbs, different kinds. Like there could be five, six different kinds of herbs. Uh-huh. You know, I think I've only ever encountered Saigon style then. Are there are there places that specialize in Hanoi style in the U.S. or do we need to make it at home? Well, I, I make it at home because mm-hmm. I... Um, like to tinker things, but even when I make Hanoi style pho at home, like what, what, how do I define that? There's, um, mm-hmm. there tends to be, um, a spice called black cardamom and they like to use dry seafood in the broth and oh, not okay. so much to blend with the beef bones. And sometimes there'll also be, be beef bones and pork bones in the broth. And I just, you know, you guys, it's like, I just love like brisket, fatty briskets, thinly Mm -hmm. sliced fatty brisket. And so I will just go for thinly sliced cooked brisket, noodles, and mint from my yard, and just go it that way, add it that way. But the other thing is that, so despite what I said about Mm -hmm. the conservative style, northern pho, they have changed. So when I went to research for the file cookbook, you know, this was like five years ago, I was like, what's up with like these jars of thinly sliced garlic and vinegar that's on every like pho table, shop table in in and around Hanoi. And also they would um, eat their pho with the um, Chinese donut, the yo tiao, the colors, yes. right? I'm mm-hmm. like, what's up with that? Like, you're putting a damn, you're putting a donut in <laughs> your pho, right? And, you can and, swear on our show, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought, what is with, and then sometimes it would squeeze a little very ripe lime. So it's more like a Meyer lemon in there than, mm-hmm. a, than ah. a green lime. And uh-huh. so it's a softer tartness. And I said, what is with up? with all of these things. And I interviewed people, some people were my age, um, so late 40s, and some people were older, late 50s. And they're like, Oh, well, this is just how it's been for years. 
And so when there was a shortage of like noodles, for example, during the whole the Vietnam War, when the country was still split in two, people innovated. And so like there were some people who came up with the whole like, hey, let's put, you know, some some Chinese donuts, some yo tiao kui is what we call it, um, those those yo tiao in Vietnamese, and they add a certain kind of richness. Yeah. Mm. And then I don't, and then the gar, the sliced garlic and vinegar, it adds just this little bit of pungent tang. And I don't know when that came about, but people are like, oh yeah, I grew up with it. So, you yeah. know, I mean, I've been away from Vietnam since the mid seventies. So what do I know? Um, and the lime, it was just like, oh yeah, you know, sometimes we have that. So there, there's plenty of room for wiggle. Wiggling. Yeah. So, so like these regional variations aren't like things that were like handed down, you know, a century ago it's set in stone they're like things that are continuing to evolve it sounds yes, like but you still have the regional foe fight yeah of course <laughs> because the northerners will say we don't like our broth sweet <laughs> don't you put sriracha and hoisin sauce directly into the bowl we're you know we're not going to put meatballs and everything you know we're just going to stay simple and true <laughs> yeah. to our broth and so when I was interviewing my cousin, who's the same age as I am, and she's a very well-to-do good cook in Hanoi, I said, so what's up with the MSG? She goes, oh, I don't use MSG. And, and I said, oh, really? And she goes, no, no. I, I don't like a sweet broth. It makes everything sweet. Because in Vietnamese, we, one of the terms for MSG is boat ngot, which means sweet powder. Okay. So she's like, I don't use that. But I put sugar cane. <laughs> in my broth (laughs) and i was like really you don't like it sweet huh and she said no i don't (laughs) that's great oh i love it so i have never made pho at home and uh i have your book sitting on my shelf and uh have uh read it many times and have it cooked pho can you kind of talk me through uh, like get me get me like feeling confident to make my my first homemade pho. So um, the book is written for pho cooks of various levels and interests, uh, and so you can make inst- not an instant pho, but a nearly instant pho by simply doctoring up canned broth. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that it starts out in that master pho chapter with with like simple recipes. So you know if you just want to get your feet wet, you know, dip your toes into pho broth making, you can just open up cans of Swanson broth or a box, you know, and like doctor it up. They teach you how to do that. And let's say you want um, something that's a quick pho, but not so elaborate, but you got a pressure cooker. I do. So you can use a pressure cooker. A stovetop pressure cooker is what that uh, book was written for. But on my website, vietworldkitchen.com, I have instructions on how to tweak it for the instant pot because they're instant pots are slightly different or multi cookers, electric multi cookers are slightly different than the pressure cookers that you use on top of the stove, the old school ones that go, yeah. you know, make all that noise and, and potentially blow up, but they don't blow up anymore. Thank God. No. Um, so, so the broth that you make from the pressure cooker is super clear, you know, no cloudiness. But the flavors are similar to like fine cashmere in the sense that it's super like just kind of perfect and velvety. Oh, I love that. But if you want more complexity and layers that you can detect and sense 
on your palate, then you want to do an old school simmer on the stove. Mm. And if you're starting out, I would say, and you're a meat eater, then go for chicken pho because you just need a chicken. You don't have to go and gather beef Okay. Bones. Yeah, I was. I think. People, I think. Yeah, it's like it's like sourcing the beef bones is is like the most daunting part of the process for me. I think. Yeah, and so you don't have to go and find the beef bones. You don't have to go and find the different cuts of meat. You just get yourself a good chicken. Yeah, and some okay. chicken, you know, parts if you want to. If you if you're just like making pressure cooker pho, just get yourself a chicken. And if you're making an old school stovetop pho, then you just need. To get, you know, a chicken with some bones, which are readily available now. That I can do. So that's like, it's a simple approach. And then the noodles and stuff, you know, you can just go to the regular supermarket and get that. I have a question about your order when you go into a pho restaurant. Um, You mentioned, you know, your your mom used brisket, right? But that in Saigon style, there have been all these additional meats thrown in it. What, What do you order when you go out and eat pho? Well, first, I look for a pho shop that really is like making pho. Like that's most of what they do. Because you know, like how nowadays you go to a pho shop and they go, oh gosh, you know, the menu is like boom, 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 because they're right. like so many pages long. And on top of pho, they're making boon and they're making, right. you know, salads and all that. And if I'm going to a pho shop that that I'm thinking that they're Northern style, their names would be like, Pho Hanoi or Pho Bak. Bak means north. Okay. So, ah. yeah. So, okay. but even there's a, though... There's a Pho Bak in, uh, in Seattle. There exactly, is. Exactly. But they make their Pho Southern stuff. Yeah. Oh. kind of thought so. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's, it's, it's like they got inspiration, but it's yeah. really Southern style. So, you know, it, but I try to like just zoom in, you know, and, and I, so I pick my Pho place choices. Um, place to go. And I like, if I can control myself, I will just get the cooked beef pho. But mm-hmm. um, I'll get it maybe with like the tripe and and other um, cuts of meat along with the brisket. And if I'm just really feeling very, just like I want it old school, I'm just going to order the fatty brisket, yeah. fatty mm-hmm. cooked brisket and just go there. Mm. And if I want to be like, I want to taste all the textures, I'll get the duck bit. So it's like a mood thing. <laughs> yeah, but I want to tell you, yeah. I stopped ordering the rare beef because um, a lot of times it's the super lean eye around. Yeah. That's like okay. eating wet, thin cardboard or construction <laughs> yeah. paper to me. Yeah, it's true. It's n- it's not a lot of flavor. It's sort of a one one note flavor. It is. It's inexpensive, super easy to thinly slice, you know, on a meat slicer once you've like right. frozen the thing. Um, at home, though, when I have rare beef, I'm going to choose like one of my favorite um, steak cuts, which is bottom sirloin, and I get it marbly, or I'll use yeah. like a or a top sirloin, something that's like got some flavor to it, you know. Um, fillet, yeah. a lot of people like fillet, but fillet is very tender; it's not very beefy. I want right. something with some like eh, says I'm beef. <laughs> And how about the, um, you, you mentioned this in the book that uh, how do you use the hoisin and chili sauce, if at all, uh, when you order pho? Because like I, I started out by throwing it into the bowl and I was like, I, you know, I feel like now I'm not really getting the flavor of the broth anymore. So then I kind of stopped using it. And then I read your book and I was like, oh, here's an idea. Can you tell us about what you like to do with those sauces? You dip. So I um, 
when you sit down at a photo shop, there are those, you know, the con- container that holds the, um, the chopsticks and the spoons. Mm-hmm. There's also a little well where they keep the small dipping sauce dishes. Okay. So you take one of those little dipping dishes, dishes for each one, each person, and then you put a yin yang kind of design of hoisin and uh, shiracha. And then, I mean, not yin yang, but I mean, you know what I mean. I know what you so mean. Like, yeah, split it down. And, and then when you're eating your animal protein from the bowl, you dip that in there. I particularly love meatballs dipped in that combo. So you're getting a salty, sweet, spicy hit of, of flavors. Because once that you put all of that into your bowl, you've completely wiped out all the flavors of yeah. the, the, the broth. Because it is very subtle. Anyone who's ever made broth from beef knows that it's a little bit tricky because it's kind of there, but kind of not. You kind of yeah. smell the beefiness from the fat. And also, like, fat's good because fat is where the, a lot of the flavor from the broth is. So when I make pho broth at home, I always leave, like, a little bit of fat. Cause, ah. cause, or I, and I also save that fat, my pho fat, and I use it to make um, a pho pot sticker filling. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh this God, this recipe is this. in the book. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm like, you know, bones now cost so much. Mm-hmm. beef bones where you know we're competing with the brothers and also pet owners yeah and <laughs> you go to source bones and i try to get um grass-fed beef bones whenever, whenever i can and so that fat is like premium stuff man you know and yeah. so save it i i think i have a tub from several years ago in my freezer <sighs> This oh, excellent. Fantastic. Yeah, when I want to really like dig in and be an old man, I will complain about the price of oxtails. Now, like when I started <laughs> cooking, like oxtails were like the cheapest cut you could get, and now they are the most expensive. <laughs> yes, I ha- I was gifted an oxtail recently. Oh, and, good gift. And it's in my freezer, and I thought, my God, this is gold. Yes. <laughs> wow, I'm going to start asking for oxtail for my birthday and <laughs> exactly. holidays and. Oh, God, this was fantastic. I always learn so much from you, Andrea. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. So uh, Andrea Nguyen's latest book is Vietnamese Food Any Day. uh, And uh, she's also the author of uh, The Pho Cookbook and many other great cookbooks. Uh, Andrea, is there anywhere, uh, anything you would like to promote and where can people find you online? Um, They can find me at my website, vietworldkitchen.com, and they can subscribe to the weekly or monthly newsletter and hear from me and never miss anything. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that good stuff. Excellent. We will link to those things in the show notes. Andrea, thank you so much for coming back on Spilled Milk. Thank you. Oh, anytime. Thank you, you guys. Oh, that was so great. I have to say that pho is one of those things where I kind of... I I guess I have been intimidated to cook it at home. I never think of cooking it at home. And now I'm like, obviously, I'm going to cook it at home. No, I'm going to make I'm going to make chicken pho to start. I'm going to use the instant pot and uh, then I'm going to try and uh, ask ask someone for some bones for a present. Okay, great. (laughs) All right. Well, Matthew, I think it's time to head into segments. Segments. Let's start with spilled mail.
And this comes to us from listener Benjamin, who asks, do either of you keep salt and pepper shakers on your table? Would you be offended if someone deemed it necessary to add salt to a dish you had prepared? This is a point of contention in our household, so looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Wow, that's a really good question. So um, I, I will answer for me. Go for it. Um, so we, you can answer for me, too. It's fine. We have a pepper mill on the table, a uh, unicorn brand pepper mill. Do you know Love what I mean? It. Those black oh, ones. Those are It's so great. Oh, yeah. That's, that is my kitchen pepper mill. I've had it forever, and it's great. Oh, it's fantastic. And then we have a little salt dish. Uh, it's a ceramic dish that we just keep some Malden salt in, so finishing salt. Um, I don't think I've ever kept a salt shaker on the table because I'm one of those people who, even if I have a salt shaker, I pour it into my hand first. Are you that kind of person? Um, yeah, I am. Like, I don't remember the last time I've like shaken salt from a shaker yeah. onto something. Yeah. Like, but how elitist does that it's make? It's terrible. Me? I feel like we should just cut this part. And sorry, Benjamin. No, no, no. Yeah, I no. Will... We have like classic little diner <laughs> salt and pepper shakers. Uh, the pepper is 17 years old. <laughs> no, okay. I'm going to forge ahead, Matthew. So forge. here's the thing. I think I'm the person in our household who likes food the saltiest. So this, so it's interesting that you asked this question because it makes me think. Like, in, in situations when someone who's eating at my table has put food, has put salt on their food, I have. I don't Incidents. feel I don't feel offended. I do always notice it though. I notice oh, it. Oh yeah. Like it's like oh god, I, I do feel that I did something a little bit wrong. Even though I know that salt is such an individual taste. But anyway, no, I don't feel offended because I love to add salt to food because I, I tend to like more salt yeah. than other people. I think it's just a totally normal thing to have salt on the table and be able to add it to your food. Okay, so I'm. Uh, we don't have a pepper uh, mill like or, sh or shaker at the table like I don't remember ever applying pepper at the table. What about to uh, fried eggs or scrambled eggs? I'll like do that. Like, uh, you know, if I'm baking scrambled eggs, I'll put it in the egg mixture before Ooh, I cook I don't it. Want that. And for fried eggs, that. I'll like crack the egg into the pan and then put salt and pepper on top as it's cooking. Oh, I guess that makes sense, but I, I don't do that. Hmm. Um, for salt, you know, unlike you, I'm not a coastal elitist at all. Yeah, we have no. a variety of salts, oh. like kept kept in a little yeah. uh, little tray near the table, and so you can go grab some some Malden God. flake salt. That's our favorite. Or we have, I think, a couple different varieties of fleur de sel, oh like a, a French fleur de sel and a Japanese fleur de sel. A couple of other salts there too. I'm embarrassed uh, and for you. Th I wouldn't say those get used a lot, but uh, they certainly do. Sometimes mm -hmm. like one thing, one thing I find that I always put salt on at the table. And I think other people in my family do too, is I love making creamy baked pasta that we talked about on the crusty corners episode from the, from the cookbook, Cucina Simpatica. That is a dish where if you put in like enough salt to make it fully seasoned throughout the sauce, that feels like gets to feel like too much. I want to like be able to like add some flakes here and there as I go. I don't even know like what accounts for that. Hmm. Interesting. That was a really good question. But yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't be offended. No. Uh, to go back to Pepper, like we do keep a waiter on staff at all time to come over with like a two foot long pepper mill and, yeah. and say like the chef recommends freshly ground pepper on that. I would be very curious to like be a fly on the wall at Benjamin's house at dinner time. I'm curious about like like this as an actual point of contention. Like, are there arguments? Yeah. Is there is there wrestling? Does anyone like, say how dare you? Does anyone get their like hand slapped away from the the salt oh, or pepper like, yeah. shaker? And, like a pepper shaker goes flying across the room. Oh, this sounds so exciting. Yeah. 
Okay. Thank you, Benjamin. Thank you for the thank you thank you for the Benjamins. <laughs> wow. Okay. Wait. So, yeah. We we've been doing this for a while now. This show. I mean, this episode. I I just hit the wall just now. It just happened. But I'm gonna rally because there's a cute animal that I need to know. All right, so here's the deal, Matthew. You have to have your sound on for this one. Okay. Don't hit start yet, but I want to tell you, this is a Mediterranean moray eel. Well, should, should I tell you a little bit about the video before? I, I, yeah, I would love that. Okay, so I really love this guy. Um, Ash says that this particular video is too reliant upon the music, that it's like hard to gauge how much of what's great about it is the music and how much of it is the eel. Um, okay. But I think they work perfectly together, and that is part of what makes this eel so cute. And I just want to suggest to you, hold on, before you begin, to think, I haven't started it I yet. want you to think of this eel as like a character actor, okay? Like, as though he's been hired, like, he thinks he's been hired to do a horror movie, but instead okay. he's shown up to this, like, nature video. Do you think this is something that happens to characters, character <laughs> actors a lot, that they get hired thinking they're going to do one thing and they show up and, and it's something else? Because totally. I think I think if I were an actor, I would be pretty upset. But this guy's happens. a real one-trick pony. He's just he's okay. a horror movie eel. So I thought anyway. you said it was an eel, not a pony. God, just so, play the video. Okay. <gasps> oh, I love it. He just holds that face, right? He's just like, I'm a horror movie eel. Even yes. though the camera guy's clearly like, this is a nature video. Wait, I think I. Oh, wow! I can, you can like see like the, like the like further down the eel body. Like I like, know he's a big boy. Oh, that and that's the whole thing. That's the whole video, Matthew. Wow! It's our character actor, Mediterranean moray eel. I love Are him. Are you sure that eel is alive? <laughs> uh, well, that's what I mean. Like he just right. holds his face like that. Like he's like, I was hired to be the scary clown. Okay. Yeah. Do you think he got like scale for that? Get it? Scale. I uh, get it. Hold on. I want to watch the video now again. Okay. Do you think he's cute? I think he's very cute. Yeah. When I was a kid, I used to love the eel at the aquarium. Oh my God, look at him. Look at this guy. Look at his face. He's I know. seriously, he's like, ah. I think he has like okay. tetanus or something. He's just stuck. Lockjaw. Yeah, he's got, he's got eel tetanus. It's, this, this suddenly turned into a very sad segment. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God, I love him. Okay, that's the whole video. All right, I everybody. A, I have a question. Are electric eels real? Because I haven't thought about them in many years, but when I was a kid, we used to go to the aquarium and there would be like the electric eel and it would make lights light up when it was like making electricity. And now the more that I think about it, the more I feel like I don't know if there are really animals that make electricity. I mean, I know like our muscles run on electricity, but not like enough to shock people. No, there's there's an electric eel. I just Googled it for you. Okay. It's a South American fish. And uh, oh, it's not an actual eel. It's a knife fish. Ha! And it, Debunked. It contains, it, so its bodily tissue can make electricity and produce electric discharges. Is it like, I mean, I, I can produce discharges. Is it enough God. to, uh, is it enough electricity to like shock a human? I, I think so. I, I already to, clicked. To I, their very core? I already 
clicked away from it. Okay, maybe 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 I'll choose. Maybe that's what happened to the Mediterranean moray eel. I mean, I understand that South America and the Mediterranean are not in the same place. But maybe the Mediterranean eel got shocked by an electric eel. And so that's why his face is like that. Maybe maybe the electric eel was introduced as like an invasive species. Yeah. And shocked and shocked the local moray eel, not with electricity, but just with it, like its complete ignorance of like lo- local customs and etiquette. <laughs> yeah. He's just walking around shocking people walking around because that's what eels do. Because <laughs> that's what eels do best. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, it's time for now, but wow. This week for Now But Wow, I am recommending a podcast, uh, and it's the All Fantasy Everything podcast. And I think I heard about this because uh, one of the hosts, David Borey, is uh, one of my favorite uh, stand-up comics and is also a great guest on other podcasts. And so this is a show that is hosted by a group of comedians and sports fans who got tired of doing, like, fantasy sports, and now they do fantasy drafts for things like anything non-sports, like video games, like your favorite gas station foods. And uh, the episode that I listened to, which I absolutely loved, was the ultimate post-pandemic women in music festival. And, like, when I started listening to this and like okay this could be like really good or really cringy it's all going to hinge on like who their first pick is and the the picks could be living or dead and their first pick was Whitney Houston I'm like okay this is going to be great Um, and so like I love this whole episode and I'm looking forward to listening to other episodes it's called all fantasy everything wherever you get podcasts this is amazing yeah they also they also picked uh, like not to spoil this whole episode but uh, Tina Turner heart Yes. Uh, Beyonce, uh, Missy Elliott, like it was it was very absolutely unassailable picks all around. I'll be honest, Matthew, you and I don't have a lot of overlap in the podcasts we listen to. But this one, I think I'm actually going to subscribe to. Yeah, it's really fun. And the, the hosts, the hosts are, are genuinely funny. Well, uh, that, it's, it's good to know of a podcast where the hosts are genuinely funny. Genuinely funny. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, our producer is Abby Circatella. You can rate and review us wherever you get podcasts. Please do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you can also join in the conversation with fellow Spilled Milk listeners on Reddit at reddit.com slash r slash everything spilled milk. When we say fellow listeners, they have been uh, uh, designated as uh, spilled milk fellows, which is a very <laughs> prestigious uh, uh, position. Mm-hmm. What what do our fellows get? Like what 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 are they awarded? Well, they get a chair, obviously. Oh, uh, like, like a an department. endowed chair, an yeah. endowed chair. Um, but in this case, it's the chair is really just one of those comfy life seat cushions. <laughs> I'm sitting on mine right now. <laughs> we should. Could we like start a new next this year's pledge drive? Start a new level where we send people comfy life seat cushions. I think we should. <laughs> it's really. I'm sitting on it right now, and it is truly life changing. It is. It is. My my butt and my my lower back thank me and comfy life. Yeah. Okay. Again, not not a sponsor. Like I think, really, it's it's we're just like angling to get a comfy life sponsorship. Well, this is but this if this works out like my dishwasher angling for a dishwasher thing, that we'll get nothing. We'll get right? nothing. So comfy life, we love you. <laughs> All right. Okay. And until next time, uh, thank you for listening to to spilled milk, the show that's filling your Christmas stocking with oxtails. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Matthew Amster Burton. And I'm Molly Weisenberg. There was what just happened? a sound at the door next to me.
Oh, God, it's June. June, you want to come in and say hi to Matthew? Oh, my God. Matthew, would you look at Hello. my kid? Have you, you ever seen anybody wear a trucker hat better than this no, kid? No, never. So, Junie, you are going to have to leave in like 30 seconds. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 